Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I got a bit of a fun episode for you guys. Of course, we have the game preview to be talking about. The Thunder are playing the Trailblazers tonight. But we also have some cool stories in Chasson, Randall, Andre Roberson, and George Hill. So let's just get right into it. So starting things off with Chasson, Randall, I kind of wanted to put this one at the front because I know a lot of you guys, well, I don't know about a lot, but some of you probably are not as interested in like the smaller players on the G League affiliate team or whatever, but I thought this was kind of important because watching the Blue Games, one of the team's best players has been acquired by another team, and that was shooting guard Chasson Randall. So the Orlando Magic, they picked up Randall on a two-way contract on Monday. In replacement, they ended up waving Frank Mason, so he's off to wherever he may be. They get Chasson Randall, right? And Chasson Randall, he's six foot two, 185 pounds, but he is an amazing slasher. He only played two games with the OKC Blue, but he was absolutely crushing it. In those two games, he averaged 20 points, three and a half rebounds, and two assists in just a tick over 23 minutes per game. And, you know, your typical six foot two guy, you're thinking probably like just cutting in. Well, not even cutting in. You're probably thinking he has the ball in his hands. He's waiting on screens to operate. And then he just shoots perimeter shots. That's not how Chasson Randall plays at all, to be quite honest with you. He loves the ISO, and he is great finishing and contact with either the left or right hand, especially in his debut game with the Thunder. Nobody could stop him around the basket. Against the Ignite, he slowed down a little bit, but he was still pretty solid. And in the Ignite game, he was burying it from downtown. So on top of him being a great penetrator, he also shot 37.5% across those two games. That's not a huge sample size. I totally get it, but he's flash potential pretty much everywhere you want on offense. And being a 6-2 shooting guard, a little bit funky, but he's able to make up for it with just how ferocious he plays at that frame. So with Chasson Randall going to the Orlando Magic, there is going to be a void at the shooting guard position. He started in both appearances that he had with the team. They clearly patched up against the charge. They dominated them. But in the long term, they're not going to have one of their core veterans. Chasson Randall, 28 years old. Pretty sure he was the... Oldest guy on the roster as well as the most tenured player. Jason Randall, pretty nice history to him. All-time leading scorer for Stanford in college. Ends up going undrafted. He's bounced around so many different countries, so many different clubs, and he stayed professional through thick and thin. He is a EuroLeague champion. And now look at him being able to spring in to Orlando and just destroy the competition. Even before Orlando, I think he, he actually played in the NBA last year. Three games with the Golden State Warriors. Didn't really have much gravity to them, so that's why he wound up with the blue. But maybe he's found his long-term home with the Orlando Magic. You know that with some of their long-term inter- injuries that they're going to be dealing with, in particular with Markel Fultz, they need someone to help bolster the point guard position, and even at times the two. Randall does that very well. High-volume scorer. Scoop him right up, 
pretty much for nothing. I don't think Frank Mason really fit their scheme anyways. So Steve Clifford and the rest of the Magic, they got a great one in Chasson Randall. So with the two-way deals, it's not like you can only be there for two months or whatever. You can play 50 games with the club. He pretty much got a one-year deal with the team. So he's in good standing. He's going to be able to play however he wants with the Magic, and I hope the best for him. When you're looking at who could potentially fill up Jason Randall's minutes, you're going to be looking towards some of the younger guys on the roster. And I think, number one, you need to look at the Blues' second-round pick in Rob Edwards. Rob Edwards had a 20-piece to start off the season, and he also has been scoring double digits in the other two. So, very nice surprise from him. Straight-up shot creator. He is amazing when it comes to baseline jump shots, and he's even a marksman from downtown. So, I think he's the guy you need to look at for potentially breaking out in the rotation as well as Melvin Frazier. Melvin Frazier, he's come off the bench, but he's still been playing a hefty amount of minutes. Maybe with the removal of Randall, he is able to get himself into the starting lineup because he was one of the hottest commodities the Blue actually brought in. Melvin Frazier got in on an Exhibit 10, I'd say early December. Randall came just like a week before that. Randall came in, Antonius Cleveland came in, and then Melvin Frazier came in. So those were your that was your trio of kind of veterans to help bolster the roster. Now you're just left with Cleveland and Frazier. Maybe Frazier can be the leader at the wing positions for this blue squad. Maybe just some like underrated picks that you could look towards for absorbing some of these minutes. How about their first round pick in Xavier Simpson? Coming out of Michigan, he has been great, not just as a scorer, but as a facilitator. I believe he is second in the entire G League right now, averaging eight some odd assists right now. So he's found his way around the court, and he's coming off the bench too. So being able to really run the second unit, they might want to try him out with some of the more firepower heavy guys they have to bring on the starting unit. Imagine Simpson, who's averaging eight assists, dishing it down low to Moses Brown 10 times a game. That's going to give you a lot of points. So maybe that's something that they might end up considering down the run when you got Jason Randall out of the equation. Second story I want to talk about in this episode, Andre Robertson. He finally gets another shot at the NBA. Ends up wrapping up his three-year, $30 million contract with the OKC Thunder in this past year. Didn't really play much. I think he played like seven games or something with us in the bubble. And then he just got cut off. Well, now the Brooklyn Nets have finally pounced on the now 29-year-old wing. They signed him on what is believed to be a veteran minimum contract. The first reports of this deal came from Shams of The Athletic. He's always got the scoop on these new additions to rosters same can be said with how he called this signing of Andre Roberson so he ends up joining the crew he is the last man brought onto the rotation the Brooklyn Nets they kind of just gutted out their roster in acquiring James Harden last month so now they've just been working the free agent market trying to like tinker with their bench and make pieces fit and so far they've got Noah Vonley, Iman Shumpert and now they bring on Andre Robertson. And what's actually interesting about this is now they have 16 full contracts on the roster. And as the tweet kind of outlined, they found their way around that. Like they're, they're probably going to have to waive somebody 
needless to say, I mean, they're just bringing Dre on. He's going to be there for the rest of the season. And it's a big home run, kind of low-risk, high-reward deal with the Brooklyn Nets because you guys know, whenever Andre Robertson was playing at his best with the franchise, he was really one of the best defenders in the entire league from the perimeter. Nobody could get around this guy, the original Harden stopper. Maybe you could see that again with him. I mean, he was out for 909 days straight after having that major, major injury back in January of 2018. Whenever he ruptured his patellar tendon off that alley-oop in Detroit. Oh my gosh, that one was bad. Honestly, that's one of the injuries I like straight up refused to watch. It was pretty bad, but yeah, so... 909 days, ends up finally coming back to play with the Thunder in the bubble, but didn't really have much meaningful minutes. He scored 2.9 points, had 3.9 boards and 0.6 assists in 12.4 minutes, playing seven games with the team. That's not really enough to get you a contract, especially whenever you had such a major injury tacked on you. I believe that like 25% of NBA players who rupture their patellar tendon, don't even play in the NBA ever again. I saw that from like a doctor YouTube video. So, you know, maybe the source might not all be there. But yeah, that's what I heard. Looks like he's not going to be part of that 25% because the Brooklyn Nets, they want to take the flyer on him. Offensively, you don't know what you're getting out of, out of Andre. I mean, it's been so long. Could he be a sharpshooter? Hell, we don't even know. We don't know what he's going to look like, to be quite honest with you. But before the injury, he just was not an offensive player at all. It was just a one-sided style of play you saw from him night in and night out. I mean, there was even a point, I think it was the first round against the Houston Rockets back in like 2016, 2017 or something, right after Russell Westbrook was kind of just on his own that, that year. Andre Robertson, I mean, he was just left wide open, given the same treatment as Dort was in the beginning of last year's playoffs. They wanted him to shoot. They dared him to. Mike D'Antoni, he was probably laughing about it the whole time. And they even enrolled a hack-a-shack play style against him. And he was not able to live up to it. He was shanking free throw after free throw. Maybe he's able to get that together. That's just one game, but... There's a real reason why that happened, and it's because he just was very inconsistent. Maybe he can become a reliable scorer somewhere with Brooklyn. They got some great coaches down there with Steve Nash, and hey, they st- they got Mike D'Antoni over there too. So Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash, I'd say they're both offensive-powered coaches, so maybe they could kind of breed him into maybe like a catch-and-shoot player with the team. I think it all comes with the defense, so that's why they brought him on. That's what the whole league knows him for. No one's looked at his offense and said that's why in the league. That's why he's in the league because he wouldn't be in the league if he didn't have that defensive game. He wouldn't have been drafted to to be quite honest with you out of Colorado. But yeah, so if he's able to play at like ninety percent of what he was doing before the injury, oh yeah. He's good to go. These guys got a great piece they can use down the line in the playoffs. But at the same time, when you're looking at a guy who really strived himself upon being one of the fastest players like laterally, getting a patellar tendon injury such as that one, 
that may knock it down a few pegs and if he's not able to live up to the kind of standards he was playing on defense he may just be like a utility thrown in every once in a while probably not the regular rotation guy but if he is able to sure up on defense and look like the Robertson we have seen in years prior sure he could totally see 20 minutes a game I mean he was playing major minutes with the Thunder whenever he was healthy but I think when you got James Harden starting at the two there minutes may kind of be suffocated just a little bit so he'll have to fight for every single minute he gets but if he's able to stay as a competitor on defense he's going to find a way and I think even come playoff time he will have an enhanced role because that's when defense really comes up big the last story of the day it comes from George Hill and this is finally the first kind of spurt of trade rumor news we have coming towards the Thunder's way you know you've always heard like speculation and I think it's been pretty clear that the Thunder they are sellers in this trade deadline they just haven't got any publicly known interest towards any of their players until now because on Monday the Philadelphia 76ers inquired about George Hill and as firstly reported by Jason Dumas of Bleacher Report they also inquired about DeLon Wright from Detroit. So they had two guys there in George Hill and DeLon Wright. I think both teams, they're kind of in a similar spot. Like OKC, they want to trade pretty much anyone. Detroit, they're in rebuild mode. They'll give away DeLon Wright. They just, both teams want assets. That's just simply how it is. But it's just going to come down to what Philadelphia needs come the deadline. Now, George Hill, as we all know, he has been sidelined with this thumb injury. I think he had a procedure done maybe a few weeks back on it. He's going to be returning around March. I think that is the kind of common consensus there, whether it's early March, mid-March, late March. We don't really know. It's kind of unclear, but he's not going to be returning in the month of February. So we're not really going to see him if he ends up getting traded, but... It is what it is. He was really great for us, though, before he had that thumb injury. Played 14 games with the team, started all of them, and he averaged 11.8 points, 2.1 rebounds, and 3.1 assists in 26 minutes a game. Perfect kind of glue to Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I'd say. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, as we've seen, he likes attacking the basket and he likes orchestrating everything. So he'll go inside. He initiates the offense. If he has a, a wide open man outside, he's going to kick it out there. If not, he'll take the shot on his own. George Hill is a guy who can do what SGA does in terms of penetrating all the time and making the correct reads whenever you're driving. But he's also one of the best catch and shoot players in the entire league. He's shooting 47.5% from downtown off of catch and shoot shots way far ahead of everyone on the thunder and it's pretty high up when you look at the league statistics as well when you filter out you know those outliers where they play like two minutes and they hit one three off a catch and shoot yeah throwing those out it's probably one of the top 10 catch and shoot players and just looking at his history best three-point shooter last season with the milwaukee bucks that definitely has some merit to it Philadelphia 76ers, they're trying to stack up on shooters to kind of help out Ben Simmons. They traded for Seth Curry with Josh Richardson, which at first seemed a little puzzling. Seth Curry has been great for them, though. 
Maybe they want another hit on this like sharpshooter kind of guy in George Hill because he definitely will provide that if brought on to the team. I think with recent attempts by the 76ers to get James Harden, there was a deal in place that was on the table. I think it was Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel, and a lot of picks. It ended up not happening, but it showed the cards that Daryl Morey and his franchise kind of had on the table. They want to win, and they want to win now. They want the Larry O'Brien trophy, and if that means giving up a little bit of their future to get a veteran such as George Hill, they'll probably go ahead and do it, to be quite honest with you. And with the East always being open, yeah, I think it amplifies it tenfold. We know what they're doing. The whole entire league knows what they're doing. They are buyers in the deadline. And George Hill may be a perfect fit for him, for them depending on the price. I think knowing Sam Presti, though, if he already knows that the Philadelphia 76ers want to win right now, the leverage is going to be in the Thunder's hands. They can wait on all of these guys, to be quite honest with you. And there's probably going to be multiple offers on a lot of their veteran pieces. So they don't just immediately need to jump at a George Hill offer unless it just blows blows right off the page. They're not going to take it immediate first deal. They're not shipping them away for nothing, if, if that makes sense. There's real value, and they will sit on it until they get what they want. We have seen it with Al Horford. We've seen it with Chris Paul. Seen it with practically everybody coming in and out of the roster. So that's where you're going to see again. A potential deal, as I've seen mocked up, and really, that's this is just how it has to be. Mike Scott will need to be thrown in a deal. $5 million expiring contract. He helps you get a little bit up to George Hill's salary. He is making $9.5 million this season. So you need to close up the gap, and you don't need to be right on the dot at 9.5, but the 76ers, they'll need to provide at least one more player with a solid chunk of salary to make the deal actually allowable in terms of league standards and the two players that have been pitched around a lot have been Tony Bradley or Terrence Ferguson I'm just going to tell you right now I don't think Terrence Ferguson's part of this equation there's a reason that he was kind of just given away to the 76ers I think there was a scenery change that both sides wanted I think it was a mutual agreement to be quite honest with you Tony Bradley's interesting though because he was great with the Jazz and the D-League and Summer League Ends up going to Philadelphia. I think he had a double-double, uh, I think it was last month, whenever no one else was able to play at center. Joel Embiid was out. Howard was having troubles. He's good. He's, he's a very underrated center, and he's pretty young, too. Tony Bradley, I mean, he's only 23 years old right now, so there is some room for him to develop. He's still on that rookie-scale contract. You're looking at a former first-round pick, though, so... I mean, you're looking at a ballpark like 3 mil he'd probably be making by the end of his deal. That's not an issue with the Thunder. They just want to keep gathering young guys, and they don't really have any true centers to fill up the potential basket of youth that they have. Moses Brown's been dominant, and I'm going to have to make a video or a podcast on him probably separately just because of how great he has been. But I think Tony Bradley, I mean, he would be a nice piece to try to build up as well hasn't gotten a real shot in the NBA to be quite honest with you I think even past his rookie contract someone would give him a minimum just because he provides like decent minutes at the five but there's more potential to be untapped with him so maybe you'd go with the Tony Bradley route 
And on top of that, maybe like a second round pick. If you're able to ooze out like two of them, that is a home run from the Thunder's perspective. I think it'd be a pretty solid deal though if they got Scott Bradley in a second. I think, however, there are some other pieces that the 76ers have, and there's going to be a lot of them that will be out of reach. They have been one of the best teams drafting in the back end of the first and in the second. They got Shake Milton in the second round a couple years back, Matisse Thibel in the back end of the first, and Tyrese Maxey in the later parts of the first in this season. Those are all three home runs. They're not going to give them away for George Hill. That's a no-brainer. Hill's 34. These guys are like under 23 years old and they have so much potential. But if the Thunder want to throw in a couple more assets, could they get up there? Truthfully, I don't think so, but you can never rule anything out in terms of Sam Presti. I think the number one target that you need to be looking at actually doesn't even come from the 76ers 15-man roster right now. It's one of their two-way contracts that I think would be a happy medium between the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, they'd want George Hill and they'd want to win now, but they're still giving up a pretty quality future asset to the Thunder. And it's going to be through their 58th pick from this draft in Paul Reed. And Paul, Paul Reed, he came out of DePaul. I was actually pretty high on him. Whenever draft day came up, Maladone and Paul Reed were the guys that I wanted at 34. Whenever we, like the Thunder knew, they were at 34. I, I was thinking between those two. And I was surprised Paul Reed fell how far he did. He's an athletic freak, rim protector, six foot nine, can play the three to five, to be, to be honest. So a lot of stuff you can have with him. Very versatile. Didn't get picked up till Philly. And put him on this two-way contract. Shipped him to Orlando. He's playing with the Delaware Bluecoats, their affiliate right now. And he's been one of the best players in the entire league. He received Player of the Week honors from the G League because in his performances with Delaware so far, he's averaged 24.7 points, 11 rebounds, and 1.7 blocks. Star the show with them, and it's been working. They're actually undefeated right now. And it's really just led by front and center Paul Reed. So you bring him in, he matches exactly what the Thunder want. Positionless basketball, athletic. I'm not going to say he's a certified sharpshooter, but he's definitely able to take advantage of his athleticism in his frame. So he does give a little bit of a unique trait there. And there's just shot blocking. You know, you can probably put him on the on the bench for the squad right now, and he would be... He'd be all right. I-, I could honestly say that with you. Paul Reed, it's not like he's your typical like 18-year-old, one-and-done guy. He was through the program at DePaul. He is currently 21 years old right now. So he's been a little bit through the system, kind of bulked up a little bit. I'm not going to say the NBA body's there yet, but I think he could hold up right now. So the Thunder... If they were to make a deal with Paul Reed, it's pretty interesting because you would still need those two players in Mike Scott or someone like Ferguson or Tony Bradley to make everything work because the two-way contract, it's really nothing. It's dirt cheap and it's not going to get you anywhere close to the 9.5 mil you're looking at. So the Thunder, I mean, maybe they just don't ask for any seconds at all. And Paul Reed, that's the guy you get. 
I feel like he has outplayed that second round label though. I think he's first round value already in this draft class. So the Thunder may actually have to pitch in a pick of their own in order to get Paul Reed. But honestly, I'd say it's probably worth it to take a flyer on him because even though he's 21, he gives you exactly what you need. He's going to be on a really cheap contract because since he's being upgraded, it's going to be like a Dort rookie scale deal that you're looking at here. So four years, going to have a team option on the back too. Nothing. You're, you're not paying him anything. So you can get him and then you can continue to just get stockpile guys to the draft. It works out perfectly financially, and it gives you so much more room to go after other players such as the Blake Griffins of the world if you, they actually want to do that. But I think in a deal, if you were to do this where you get Paul Reed, you need to throw in something else, of course, as I've said. But you also will need to trim down the roster a bit if you want to move him up because it's already going to be a two-for-one. You tack Reed on and you say you're going to get moved up to the 15-man. Okay, well, now you have 17 players. You have to release two of them. I could see the Thunder being cool just buying out Mike Scott. Five mil, it, it's whatever. They've probably had to deal with worse. I mean, they've had Kyle Singler go through here. Patrick Patterson come through here. So they'll cut Mike Scott off pretty easy. Then it comes down to Bradley or Ferguson. If they get Ferguson, it'd be a pretty dirty move. I think Bradley... He's pretty solid as well. Maybe there's some other moves that could happen before the deadline or leading up to the deal. Get you down to 14 players so that this would just be smooth sailing. You cut Scott and there you go. You're up to 15 guys. But we can never really predict on that. I just want to say on my two cents though, if you're looking at a trade for George Hill, you're not looking at picking up Tony Bradley. You're not looking at picking up one to two second round picks. You're looking at picking up Paul Reed. He has a lot of potential and he's going to continue to look better and better with the Delaware Bluecoats. And at some point, you're just not going to be able to trade for him. He's going to be added on to that Maxi, Shake Milton, Matisse Thibel kind of list there. You don't want that. You stop it as soon as you can. Daryl Moore in the organization must think really highly of him right now. They just uncovered a gym, but maybe they'll be able to pry them away with a little bit of incentives get yourself a playoff booster in hill and even if you want to throw in a, a pick I, i'd say why not but yeah that's just my take on it will be fun to see what ends up happening with george hill if he goes to the 76ers and if a package would just include maybe two fillers and a pick or or if there's maybe something more to a deal to just tie things all up, you already know the Thunder are going to be playing tonight. They're playing against the Portland Trailblazers at 7 p.m. Pretty interesting here. I'm surprised there's even a game to be had. I mean, the weather outside is just absolutely terrible. And with, I mean, cutoffs on power, like, I've, I've had it hit. I had it, like, this morning or whatever. And other people are going to have their, their power just tapped off in these mornings. I don't understand exactly the logic behind wanting to play today so badly. I know that the Texas teams, the Spurs, the Rockets, the Mavericks, they don't want to be playing in the home arena right now. They got it pretty bad out there in Texas as well. Surprised that no one stepped in from either the Thunder organization or, I mean, just the government in general to 
say no to this game, I feel like it probably would not be that hard to do that. I saw from uh, Joe Muzato of the Oklahoman that they were not going to have all the lights on and like the outer bowl and, you know, maybe where like you walk in and all that. But I mean, come on, you're still going to be using a lot of power. And whenever there's people that literally don't have any and are not going to have any, it's pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, it's still going to be something to watch tonight. You can look forward to that, I guess, out of all the random crap that is going on. Going to be in the peak again. Portland Trailblazers, they still have a ton of injuries. Rodney Hood is going to be out. Harry Giles is not going to be in the game. And you also got your two pretty big names in CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic still out for the long run. For the Thunder, you got the same usual suspects out. Shea Gojas-Alexander and George Hill are not going to be here. But Teo Maladon, he's finally been upgraded to available for this game. He's been out for a long patch of games due to health and safety protocols. He had like one game where he was able to play, and then he just got bumped right back down to the inactive list. We're going to see action from him again. Does he end up reclaiming his starting role over Kenrich Williams or Justin Jackson? Both of them have been playing at a starting level. You can throw Maladon back in there, but are you going to boot one of those guys out? That's really who it's going to come down to. I think Diallo, pretty evident he's going to stick on the second unit, but we saw Maladon playing at the starting two. I think he played at the starting one when SGA was hurt and he wasn't, so... We'll see what they do with the rookie there. I think with SJ out again, it's going to come down to some of your bigger role players. Whenever the Thunder ended up matching up against the Bucks, the, the role players, they start. And it started with Justin Jackson. He scored. He's had two straight games where he's dropped 20 plus. He had 20 points against the Nuggets and he had 22 against the Bucks, including the dagger three-pointer from the top of the key. Behind him, you had Al Horford, who has looked amazing, not just as an interior threat, but he's also been distributing the ball very, very well. Lou Dort, been active as can be, penetrating the basket, and Justin Jackson, really hard to play offense, or at least how you'd like to play offense, when you got him roaming around the floor. I think Darius Baisley, another wild card, he always is. Couldn't get anything to go against the Nuggets, Goes up against the Bucks and he balls out. He had 18 points on 8 of 13 against them. Really just a lot off of driving inside. Shot just 2 of 7 from deep. If he's used as a catch and shoot player, you're going to need the production from him. He's going to be squaring up against Carmelo Anthony and Robert Covington. In the first meeting, Carmelo Anthony looked very, very solid. And he's a great all year. You can't let Carmelo Anthony or Rocco get in any sort of rhythm in this game as well as some of the others Anthony Simons and Gary Trent they had 20 point games against the Thunder last month you're not going to be able to let that happen Anthony Simons amazing shot creator off the bench and with Gary Trent he's turned into a great sharpshooter he's playing the CJ McCollum role needed as of right now and you still got Damian Lillard you don't have SGA to arm up with him. Is Dort going to be taking him? Is Williams going to be taking him? Is Maladone going to be taking him? So many questions when you evaluate how we are going to see the roster in full effect tonight. But you just need to lock him down primarily. Get him locked down. Force it onto the, some of these smaller guys. 
you may be able to shift the cards into your favor. I think when you queue in on who to watch out on, you actually need to start with Hamadou Diallo. Shot just 3 of 16 in the last game, but against the Trailblazers, he looked really good. He had 11 points on 5 of 8 shooting against them last time, and that's kind of where the snowball effect happened, where he turned into a 20-plus point per, per game guy for a little while. Maybe he can kind of reinvigorate his shooting against the Trailblazers tonight. And you also just need to look at Al Horford defensively. The Thunder, I mean, they barely won the game against the Trailblazers back in January. They won 125 to 122, and it's because they could not get a board for anything. Enos Cancer, he had 23 rebounds against the Thunder, and this was back when Horford just was not playing. Roby was in the starting unit. Now you finally get Horford back, you cannot allow Enos Cantor to go off and give extra possessions, because that's what left them in a spot to take the game. Luckily, the Thunder fended them off, but they need to learn from their mistakes and hold them away from the glass. Also, they've been looking amazing as passers. I think this their last game was like the seventh straight. They've had 20 or more, and they had 32 in the previous one. Just keep the ball moving. With Maladone, maybe the style maybe shifted to more of like a pick and roll offense, but even with that, he needs to be passing out. I don't want him jacking up 10 shots in the game. I want everybody spreading the love around, and hopefully that should result in some high-quality looks. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.